Hello, this is episode 298 and in it, I'm talking with Brian Guinan from iSmart Building Group. Now, in this first part of my conversation with Brian, we learn more about his background and how he became an industry leader in sustainable building and also how he got involved in Builders Declare and now Sustainable Builders Alliance. He also talks through how he specifically achieves high-performance building outcomes in an efficient and fast-tracked way. And we discuss the whole passive solar versus passive house conversation that can happen in the sustainable sector of the industry. If you're a listener of the Sustainable Building Builders Yak podcast, you may recognize Brian's voice as one of the hosts. So uh, now if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information on the resources we discuss, you can find all of that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 298. That's the numbers 298. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers, and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses, and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building, and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website, and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take, and the best way to create a home that works, feels great, and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. Before I jump into my conversation with Brian, let me introduce him to you. So Brian Guinan is the director of iSmart Building Group, a company delivering high performance custom residential homes with a heavy focus on passive house. And he has over 30 years experience in the industry in Europe, the US and now here in Australia. Brian is a qualified carpenter, a registered building practitioner, certified passive house tradesperson, certified passive house consultant, accredited ATTMA air tightness tester, directors of Builders Declare, which is now Sustainable Builders Alliance and the host of Sustainable Builders Yak. 
And more importantly, Brian is a husband to a beautiful wife and father to four incredible children. Now, Brian has been driven to insight change in the industry for many years now and has been the pioneer for Passive House in Western Australia, building over 50 homes to Passive House standards and completing four of the only six certified Passive Homes in Western Australia to date. I actually recorded my conversation with Brian a few months ago. He was heading overseas for some time and I wanted to get this episode in the can before he did. And at the time of recording this interview with Brian, Sustainable Builders Alliance launch was impending. And of course, since then, it's successfully launched. It has an amazing website that's an incredible resource for builders, designers, architects and homeowners alike. And I've popped that in the resources for you so that you can access it. My Home Method members have been loving that website and that resource. So definitely check it out. Now, you'll also hear me completely blank on what climate zone Byron Bay is in because Brian and I uh, discuss a house that's uh, that I've been seeing under construction at Watergoes. And um, so Byron Bay is actually climate zone two, all right? I'm, I'm not used to being asked questions when I'm interviewing someone on the podcast, so I got caught off guard and com- my, my mind went completely blank. I've got all of the resources about the things that we discuss on the, on the show notes and on the resources for this episode, so make sure you check that out. And let's jump into my conversation with Brian now. Well, Brian, I'm really excited to have you here on Undercover Architects podcast. I am an avid listener to the Sustainable Builders Yak and I've heard your voice for a very long time, but never actually got to see you. (laughs) Likewise, (laughs) I'll return the compliment. I'm privileged to be here. (laughs) So, and it's, it's, I'm really looking forward to getting to know a bit more about you. I think as, um, as the interviewer on a podcast and Sustainable Builders Yak sort of always started out as kind of more of an interview process rather than you both, you know, you talking personally. So a lot gets obviously, you know, we were just chatting before we sort of jumped on about how great the most recent episode at this time of recording is in terms of the conversation between some of the other founding members to actually hear sort of their backgrounds and their their personal approaches to this. And so, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to learning a bit more about you and your business and how you approach construction and, and um, your general sort of values around your business and the way you do things. So I'm wondering before we dive in, if you can tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and also about how iSmart, your your business actually began. Firstly, I'm a father of four. I'm a husband to one. <laughs> the rock that is. Um, Sabrina, my wife. I'm a carpenter by trade. I have 12 siblings, seven brothers, five sisters. Um, Whoa! Grew up in <laughs> country Ireland, yeah. Uh, grew up in country Ireland. Uh, I'm a country bumpkin. Um, like I said, chippy by trade, served under my dad and my uncle, and then just progressed through, did my carpentry apprenticeship, then went to New York for six and a half, seven years. Um, did a bit of project management and stuff over there. Um, and then, yeah, GFC hit, ended up back in Ireland, but not much, and said, right, well, where's the next country to go to? And it was Australia, because I had a brother-in-law out here at the time. And yeah, this is 13, 14 years later, here we are. And Absolutely so when did... Fantastic. When did you actually start iSmart then in that process? So I originally didn't start iSmart. I have, my parent company is Emerald Building Solutions um, after my home country. And that was started in 2014. I joined with iSmart in 2015-ish and then took over iSmart in 2017 and made it part of uh, Emerald Building Solutions. So the building company or the build, the registration, it's my registration. I am a registered practitioner and it's under Emerald Building Solutions and iSmart's trading name. Gotcha. Okay. And just as a sidebar, those 12, like being one of 12, are many of them still back in Ireland or have they also sort of, you know, traveled afield? Uh, all bar one. There is my uh, older sister. One of my older sisters is in uh, New Jersey now. She lives in Hoboken, New Jersey. Right. Uh, so but the she, rest are all still at home. Yeah, the rest are all around. 
you know, within your shot of home, within 10 or 20 Ks of home ish. Yeah. Gosh. Christmases as a get together must be insane. <laughs> yeah. We are literally, as I sit here, I am 13 days from getting on a plane to go back. We haven't been be... back for six years, so it's going to be a big oh, one. Oh, wow. That'll be amazing. So mm. I can't imagine feeding all of you when you were growing up. My 16-year-old son eats for five people. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think yeah, it was a bit tough. 12 would have been insane. <laughs> Clothes and food were a bit of a struggle, all right? <laughs> yeah, you learn to fight your corner. Yeah. <laughs> now, you're obviously not from Australia, and as you've just described, and you know, you still obviously got a very um, strong accent, which is awesome. Mm. And you also have that international experience. I'm wondering how that's potentially changed or inspired or driven the approach that you have to building, you know, especially in the West Australian context, because Western Australia, even though it's, you know, we're all one country, it is, it is quite different to how a lot of other parts of Australia operate. And I know too, when I started learning more about, you know, I went from being an architect that practiced in one location to then obviously learning a lot more about Australia generally, and then also overseas construction and design practices as I, as I grew under, as I've been growing undercover architect. And I was working with some West Australian clients and learning about just the design and the construction methodology there's quite different to what we do elsewhere in Australia in terms of the materials and the um, soil conditions and even the climate to a certain extent. And then also the industry there, I think is a lot more heavily driven by the volume builder part of the market. So the percentage of homes built by volume builders is significantly higher there than in lots of other parts of Australia. So I'm curious sort of how you've seen that with your international knowledge and your, your experience coming into that context then what you're sort of, you know, doing in terms of how you're working with clients, you know, your focus and and how you've sort of shaped your business in that environment with that, yeah, with that international perspective. Loaded question. So we'll just go back to the start. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go back to the start. Look, it wasn't hard coming, coming to Western Australia specifically because I hadn't experienced the Eastern States at all um, at that stage. So coming to Western Australia, I uh, yeah, when I got here, I just thought, oh, my God, this is Neolithic. It is literally the Wild West. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, that's just where it was at at the time. And the National Construction Court allowed it to be like that. Like, it was the bare minimum, you know what I mean? Yeah, just barely passing legal. And let's let's get it done. So that was okay. But what I did see was I saw a very, very small niche group of people like trying to push a little bit of sustainability and trying to get into that market. And like, let's call a spade a spade here. I saw a real viable business opportunity to push into the sustainability market. Um, but pushing in, if we were going to do it, it's like anything I do in my life. It's got to be top dog. It's got to be perfect. So obviously, you just seek out Passive House and you go from there. I will say my discovery of Passive House comes from... Daniel Cress. So Daniel Cress worked with iSmart when he came to Australia first. Um, he gave me a lot of knowledge. He passed on a lot of knowledge to me while he was here before he moved to Sydney. So that was really my, you know, my building block or my foundation for Passive House and how I got started. Um, from there, there was there was a couple of panel systems. So we had our own manufacturing plant at the time. And the, the panel systems were quite difficult and cumbersome. And yeah, they just didn't they didn't work with my full philosophy of where I wanted to go. So as soon as I took over iSmart, I just, yeah, down to the drawing board, right? How do we make this work? How do we make this economical? And we'll, we'll touch on this a bit later. But essentially what I wanted to do was have a product that we could push out to mass market, you know, high, like high volume, high performance that can be pushed out to mass market with minimum impact or, you know, minimize the risk, if that makes any sense. So that was kind of where my focus was. So I was always focused heavily on you know passive house but more importantly mass market entry is where i was at 
I pushed really hard and pushed really hard. And then eventually it just got so difficult financially. You, you can't run a manufacturing plant building six to eight houses a year. It's not possible. You need to have other income streams. So one thing had to happen. We had to grow or we had to get smaller. And we got smaller, essentially. So in getting smaller, we automatically then got pushed into the you know niche within a niche boutique market. And we ended up doing very high-end passive house stuff. Um, and that's kind of where we're at today. And um, we've, we've become... I don't like using this term, but it's been kind to me all the time. We've become industry leaders or industry authorities in Western Australia for Passive House. Um, not by choice, but that it's just an organic growth, I guess. And now there's a lot of architects coming to us, and in particular, larger firms coming to us for consultation with, you know, even commercial projects and stuff, trying to get detailing and trying to implement Passive House principles into, you know, projects more cost effectively. So that's kind of where the company's at right now. And that's kind of where we're moving. We, we've got a lot of architectural stuff that we're building, but we've also got a lot going on on, on on left field with consultation and membrane sales and all that kind of stuff as well. That's fantastic. And I think, you know, I can see uh, why you would be considered an industry leader because you're so heavily focused on sharing your knowledge. So the only way that you can actually sort of step into a position of leadership is if you're willing to actually demonstrate what you know and and be willing to share it. And I think that um, something that is fantastic about the the sustainable community generally in the industry is that they are willing to collaborate and share and pass on this knowledge because it's part of a bigger vision to ensure that this is the way that the industry moves. Yeah, yeah. You kind of phrase, oh, it's probably four or five podcasts ago, I'm not sure, um, from a kernel where it says, if you walk past it, you accept it, essentially in short. Yes, the standard you accept. Yeah, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. Yeah. Yeah. So I use that phrase quite a bit. And and, and I also use the phrase, I use this a lot in my presentations, is um, if we think of the industry as a whole and we think of the systems that we use, well, we already have a wheel. Let's just, let's use the same wheel, but change the tire, right? So Australian standards, we have it for all types of construction. It's very, very good. There's nothing wrong with it, but we do need to upgrade to sustainability measures and high performance measures. So essentially, take the Australian standards we have now, update them with high performance insulation, high performance windows, etc. And then we have a new high performance system based on the old standards. Our little bit of a stumbling block at the moment is that the National Construction Code is, you know, it's missing the link there. In my opinion, that's just my opinion, but there is a link. There's definitely a missing link there. But that was always my my driving force was to have a system that, you know, any carpenter can come to build a house. If it's Australian standard 1684, it's timber frame house. They can build a high performance house the very same as they can build this house to code. You know, there's not many things that change. There's a few details in there that change to do it right. But risk mitigation is key here. And the risk mitigation is once you push to passive house, or even high-performance timber frame. If you start to insulate a building and put in proper windows, then your moisture, moisture passage through the building changes. We're not going to get into that here, but this is where I feel the risk mitigation is very, very important, and that's why I give those presentations and I give out free information because people need to know that. That's very important. Yeah, I love that. We are going to dive into a little bit of more about, you know, sort of the National Construction Code as we go on, but I first wanted to chat about Builders Declare because obviously your business signed up as a signatory to Builders Declare Australia when it first uh, started up and you're one of the founding members of Builders Declare. You co-host Sustainable Builders, Yak. Uh, you're in the process of starting the Sustainable Builders Alliance. I know that Live Life Builders come on as a platinum sponsor for um, the Sustainable Builders Alliance, which we're really excited about. Um, and really, it's all about helping support builders and industry in general. And I think then that has an on-flow effect, obviously, in the accessibility of the information that homeowners can also benefit. I know I've put lots of homeowners onto the Sustainable Builders Yak. 
in this education about sustainable building. So can you talk to me a bit about your involvement in this, you know, why it's important to you, why you signed on? Because I imagine it's a fair amount of commitment of your time as well. You guys run this as, you know, all of you run this just as a kind of passion project, you know, in terms of what you do on top of your everyday business. Why why is this, I suppose, is a bigger question. Why is this the way that you've chosen to do building in terms of sustainability being important to you? And then also why you've kind of signed into the the commitment that you've made to Builders Declare and the work that you do there and now Sustainable Builders Alliance. Uh, in short terms, it fits. It's as simple as that. It's correct, it's right, and it fits. If we're going to be serious about making a difference, then don't talk about it, act on it. And it's the same with the other six directors that are in this group. When I first, I actually happened on this group. I wasn't one of the original guys. I fell in after a couple of weeks. So the boys did their first webinar and I I fell in on that webinar. And in that webinar, they said, oh, if anyone wants to get in touch and, you know, help out. And I was straight on the email. I was like, right, this fits what I do. This is, this is me, my karma, filling my cup. I want to give back, right? So yes, it has, you know, benefits. And I'd be a fool to say it doesn't. It has PR benefits for me personally and my company to be involved in something like this. That is always a plus and I can't ignore that. But the reality is that if we're going to be serious about something like this, then the guys that have the knowledge need to share the knowledge. And as far as I was concerned, I had quite a bit of knowledge at the time and there's absolutely no reason why I can't share it. And this is just another platform for me to get that knowledge out there. That's fantastic. And so at the time of recording, where is Sustainable Builders Alliance at in terms of it being a resource that builders will be able to tap into. So, uh, by the way, I thank you for your sponsorship. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. We only released 10 of the platinum sponsorships and they were they were literally gone in a week. It was, it was, we were absolutely overwhelmed with it. But um, to answer your question, at the moment, I'm away for the month of August. So the boys have very kindly pushed it to September. So there's a date in September to be released. Uh, I'm pretty sure releasing on, a, on the webinar next Wednesday. Um, but it's, I think it's around the third week. There's a launch event in Melbourne. Uh, hopefully, I'll get over to that. Um, but I think the website will probably be released a week or two before that. So early to mid-September is when the website will be released. And yeah, again, I have to put out a huge thank you to, to Jeremy. He is the heavy lifter. And this website is absolutely fantastic. I know we say that and you guys are all like, oh, yeah, we know it is. Nah wait till you see this thing. There is so much information in there. And we haven't even, we've only gone, you know, Passive solar design, high performance. We haven't even delved into passive house on the website yet. We haven't even gone there. There's no detailing or that all has to be involved. We have to do all of that yet. So there's a lot more to information to come, but very, very exciting to see it. Oh, it is. And I think if it's, if, you know, Jeremy, of course, runs the the social media, the Instagram account for Builders Declare, and he's constantly sharing very detailed, very generous incredible information on that just for a social media platform so if the website's you know i can imagine it'll be that on steroids and it'll just be an incredible yeah. resource absolutely yeah it's incredible he is such a heavy lifter and he's got he's got so much knowledge and if anything i've said it in my own podcast it's not released yet but it'll be released in a couple of weeks i personally myself and hamish we are you know one-eyed passive house monsters if you want to call it that <laughs> um we've my thinking has come way back and because of, you know, I had a vision and an understanding of passive solar design, et cetera. And then I had my box where I was in passive house in a rabbit hole. And since then, I've leveled off a lot. Like the conversations that we have with Jeremy and Hamish and the other guys, you know, there's always some really, really good conversations in there. And your your level of thinking changes. It really does. It's fantastic to have these guys involved. 
Yeah, I'm really excited about it. So I think that's the challenge, isn't it? When we, you know, just as a side note, there's this sort of sector of the industry really passionate about sustainability and and what often that transposes out in or translates out into how it looks like externally is passive house versus passive solar and people having to make some kind of like it's a it's a divided kind of choice and it's like well and so then i think as a homeowner kind of looking in you they you know you can, it's understandable that you can kind of feel confronted by that feel like it's too big a choice to make that it's kind of you know and it's it's so it's weird sort of this it looks like infighting, but it's not. It's actually really passionate people sharing yeah. knowledge about things that they really care about and getting to the nuts and bolts of what's going to make building better. But for a homeowner looking in, they feel like they've got to choose one or the other and they're going to be less or better if they don't, you know, if they whichever side of the fence they fall on. And so I, yeah, I really love that. There's this collaboration. I think Jeremy, you know, is, is, and I, I see the same thing for Jennifer Edwards with lighthouse architecture and science. She's very yeah. passionate about passive yeah, solar and what it can yeah. do. And, you know, and I think that this is the, this is this fantastic conversation that can keep happening in the industry. And because I think people are leaving their egos behind, you know, and really coming together, all it's going to do is continue to elevate the experience and the standard of construction, which then benefits homeowners, benefits the environment, benefits the built environment. You know, there's such a, a fantastic ripple effect that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I see. I, I did a bit of research when I was starting out first. And when I said earlier that I came back to like, uh, you know, don't change the wheel, change the tire. It, how we're going to influence the industry most is if we get simple solutions. And I think, unfortunately, in every country where a passive house has been introduced, it starts out as an elitist industry. So it's, you know, it's for the higher end and it is more expensive and it's, you know, unachievable for the greater market. What I'm pushing really hard on at the moment is to see if we can get a compromise between both, you know. So we're going to have a 10 to 15 year period where the code is neither passive house nor, you know, the CRAP that we're used to. It'll be a passive solar design somewhere in between where we educate the entire country let alone the industry we're going to we're on this huge journey of education at the moment and knowledge sharing so the way i see that is and we're, we're building one home right now that's not passive house it's a passive solar design it's a pilot project for us and there's a full aircon system and everything in there. and we're going to monitor that house and see how it performs but there's definitely a place for that in the industry and if we come with the knowledge that we've had in passive house or we have in passive house and we then apply those principles in the best possible scenarios that we can to just a high performance timber frame home, then, you know, we can only win. We can only get better. Yeah. I love that, Brian. It's fantastic. Now you're obviously across the changes in the national construction code 2022. You've been sharing information about them on the podcast for some time. Sustainable Builders Yak has actually been really awesome in how proactive you've been about educating your audience about the upcoming changes. Western Australia, of course, isn't adopting them in the same timeframes as other states and it's varying generally. But I'd love to know if you think that the changes are going to generally improve sustainability and the performance of homes. Um, do you think that we're moving in the right direction, you know, in what ways and what things do you think are still lacking or it might be problematic for people that they need to be aware of? Big question. Uh, I'll shorten it if I can. Look, I definitely think we're heading in the right direction. Um, I think personally that the ABCB need to talk to the right people. So they need to get, you know, building scientists, et cetera, involved. So the code is definitely heading in the right direction. Absolutely. We now see all five passive house principles. And let's not even call them passive house principles. Let's just call them sustainability and energy efficiency principles, because that's what they are. We're, we're looking for healthy living environments that are low cost to run with low embodied carbon, if at all possible. 
That's that's the target. So if the code is looking for do, to do that, they're on the right track. I just see a bit of risk mitigation in in here somewhere along the way. So moisture management is where my head's at, and moisture management is where I think the code is lacking at the moment. So we've got waterproofing in the code, and we've got moisture management in the code, and they're not talking to each other. And like most people in the industry that have anything to do with moisture management or membranes or weather-resistant barriers or anything, they're across this. And we know that it's it's a bit, you know, once they start talking to each other, the, the 2022 is better because we see climate zone four or five now with the same parameters as six, seven, and eight. Um, but I think we need to do more. There's a little bit more that needs to be done with membranes, et cetera. I'm not going to get into that, but I definitely think as you, you've asked the question, are we heading in the right direction? Yes, we are. Are we going to get there quick enough? Probably not, but we have to accept that this is a huge boat and it's going to take a long time to turn it. And there's a lot of resistance from all ends of the spectrum, specifically the project build industry. But as you said in your podcast, and it was a fantastic podcast you did with the 10 the the 10 pieces of advice for building with a project builder that was very very well done so Thanks. those those 10 items are exactly what you should be watching out for but then you went and you did another one where it had three or four was it yeah something like that yep yeah that was really important because that one delves into orientation and the right questions to ask these guys that you know if you're looking for performance that's where you should be so i think with regard with respect to national construction code they're going to be they're going to be upset but they're going to come they have to come they'll be kicking and screaming and we'll drag them through but they will come i think what it'll be for most of those larger guys it'll be a risk mitigation strategy how do we ensure that we can build the bare code minimum but not end up with buildings that are rotting you know, how do we manage the moisture management? And I think that section of the code, if if we get standard industry practice correct from the start, then we won't end up with leaky building syndrome like Canada and like New Zealand, which if we're going to be honest, there is so much information on the internet right now. There is so much knowledge. It, yeah. Of it. yeah. You would be foolish to ignore it. So where New Zealand and Canada got caught, they didn't have the information. They didn't have the knowledge and they just had a code that they just built to. We have that knowledge and we have so much information available to us now. As a builder, your risk is your biggest problem and you need to look after it. So I think like I can see most of the like the mid-tier project builders, so where they do, you know, your entry level, but they've usually got two or three tiers in the company. They've already adopted, you know, weather resistant barriers in the Perth metro area. So we know that these guys are preparing. So that's really reassuring for me when I see that. Now they're detailing. Yeah, their detailing leaves a lot to be desired, <laughs> but you know, baby steps. But they are getting there. I can see change, and it's it's yeah, it's good. What I find is really fascinating is that um, I think that the general kind of tone in the industry has been this is all going to all these changes are going to cost you know a heck of a lot more, and that's been the large pushback from you know, and the industry bodies have been uh, kind of. I think the industry bodies have spent time pushing back rather than bringing everybody up to speed and educating people. So there's sort of now this lag of how we're going to adopt it. But I know, like, I mean, I live uh, about 25 minutes from Byron Bay. We go walking along the beach a lot. There, there's a house going up under construction at Wadigos, which must be, um, you know, the, the site's I hate to think what the site's worth. I hate to think what the build is worth. It's got blue Bunnings wrap on it. And, <laughs> and you just like, you know, that's, that's happening at that caliber of project. So 
it for me it's not a budget thing it's just that people haven't known the right questions to ask or the builder hasn't been educated about it the builder hasn't understood their risk that they're exposing themselves to and what i get excited about is that all of the information and the noise that's been made about the national construction code and these changes has at least put it on the radar of homeowners who are invested and seeking to inform themselves to start scratching the surface of what they're being told. And I mean, in Undercover Architect, we're all about helping people know the right questions to ask. And what I find is that when they at least have this on their radar, when they can then see a builder shifting in their seat or a designer shifting in their seat going, you know, that's a good red flag for them to go, well, maybe is this the right person to work with? Or does this person need more training? Or what do I need to know? So I think that that for me, there's just been so, I don't remember there being this much noise about any other change to the National Construction Code in yeah. the past. It, affect, so, it affects the industry as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah. And on that house you were talking about, like this would come down to, it's a very simple thing. Where is it? What's the climate zone it's in? Well, it's Northern New South Wales. So I think it's climate zone. I'm trying to think what it is. I'm blanking. Yeah. I can't think. It doesn't but matter. But yeah. if it's six, seven and eight, then it's non-compliant. Yeah. If it's got a foil wrap. So is the builder responsible? Mm, yeah, he is because he's put it on. But if it was in the specification sheet, he should have questioned it. So there's that there's that whole other side of the thing. So as a Proclima distributor, like we have target audience that we advertise to. And most of those target audiences are, you know, there are specifiers, architects, um, facade engineers, the kind of guys that are at the top, but the kind of guys that take the risk. So if they're specifying a product and it's not fit for purpose, well, where's the risk? So if the builder puts it on, is he at fault or is the guy that specified it at fault? So these these are the conversations that need to start happening like big time. And as soon as that knowledge gets out there, the, the, the Mac will just flip. It'll just yeah. automatically flip because they know if there's risk there, nah, it's not worth $300 or the 400 bucks. Whatever the difference is in, in, in a weather resistant barrier from, from a class four to a class two for 400 bucks, you, you're absolutely going to flip. Absolutely. Because the risk is too high. I think that's um, that's a really great way of putting it. So now, can we dive into some of the things that you do specifically in your projects uh, to meet and exceed the codes? Because I know that for you, you know the changes that are, are happening in the National Construction Code, but it's it's like, well, you're building well beyond that already anyway. So I think that it'd be really great to go through how some of these things might apply to people's in their project, where this might be relevant to the National Construction Code changes. So Perth obviously has uh, a quite a different climate. I remember I was watching videos of yours in preparation for chatting to you and you talking about the fact that, you know, it doesn't obviously cool down at night sometimes that the home needs to happen. So in terms of the, some of the things that you do to, to ensure, um, I'll just go through them because I imagine that you they'll, they get sort of talked about holistically um, and that they'll start to overlap. So uh, the suitability to Perth's climate and how this might vary from other areas, how you think about air tightness and building for air tightness, thermal bridging, which of course is something that's in the National Construction Code and, and um, something that we need to think about, condensation management. Uh, and then I wanted to also talk about your involvement of modeling uh, and consultants and things like that. And then also prefab elements, because I know that that's something that you do with the way that you put your walls together. So yeah, if we could want to dive into that um, and I can uh, remind you of anything along the way because I know I've just fired a lot of information at you. <laughs> That's all right. So the first three are very simple. Uh, drainage planes, ventilated cavities and service cavities. That's that's the answer for those first three questions. So how do you deal with the climate? Well, you find out what climate zone you're in first. Perth in general is in, it has five climate zones, but I think there's 55 microclimates, 55 or 57 microclimates in here. Uh, they get a little bit different as you go towards the coast and you head north. 
Then from Bunbury southwards, it's about climate zone six, all the way down to Denmark. You know, you get up to climate zone seven just as you go down. I think it's Tasmania is climate zone seven, is it? Or eight? But yeah, um, we've built right. all yeah. through. Yeah. So we've built in, we've built five homes in Denmark, Pemberton, um, Bridgetown, all through the southwest Great Southern. Um, and now we're in Witchcliff, Margaret River. We've got two certified pacifiers down there in conjunction with a local builder. But it's the same principle. So when we go from climate zone four, probably even three down to eight, the same principle of wall construction applies essentially, right? So you have your wall cavity, whatever your insulation you pick or choose for that climate zone is, is irrelevant to this conversation, but that's your insulation. Then external to that, you have a class four weather resistant barrier. External to that, you have your 35 mil cavity batten. You can go down to 20 mil, but it's a financial decision. What kind of cladding have you got on? Is it vertical? Is it horizontal? Do you need to counterbatten, et cetera? But what you need is a ventilated cavity. So you got to make sure that you ventilate right up the side of the building and you get that stack effect or you get convection going up behind the cladding, whether it's heat or whatever it is, and you ventilate that out the top or you ventilate up underneath the roof sheets and you ventilate out the ridge. And your roof plane is essentially the same structure as your wall plane. The insulation will be different. So you've got more insulation because you've got more heat gain from the sun. So we go, if it's an enclosed roof system, it's an R5. If it's an open roof system or a ventilated cavity upstairs uh, in the attic space, it's an R6. And that's true Passive House modeling. We found that they, those are the two where you can get, you know, Passive House Plus. We've built, so two of the four we've, we've done certified are Passive House Plus. So that essentially is your modeling. Um, and then you you do you run Wuffy. So years ago we ran Wuffy on three or four different scenarios. Um, so our original panel is too hard, too much thermal bridging didn't work. But when you come back to Australian standard sixteen eighty four and you model that with your insulation, with your ventilated cavity, and then internally your service cavity, it works. So again, don't change the wheel. We've just changed the tire. We've upgraded a standard timber frame to a high performance timber frame. So now we've got safe moisture passage through. We've got a ventilated cavity in the external. And on the internal, we've got a service cavity, which allows us to run all of our services, electrical, plumbing, heat recovery, ventilation. All those services run inside the internal airtight layer. Climate zone specific, we choose to have our airtight layer on the internal of the insulation envelope. Okay. So... So you and then are you doing a cavity between the internal because you have you got insulation in the timber frame? Service cavity. So WRB on the outside, weather resistant barrier on the outside, timber frame. We usually use a 120 so we can get an R3 in there and glass wall bats because that's cost effective, mold and mildew resistant, and it's 100 percent recyclable. Then on the inside of the timber frame, we have a Perclima Intello, which is a vapor permeable airtight layer. That airtight layer then goes on the inside of that and all the way across the underside of the trusses with an R6 above it. So now we have a, an external weather-resistant barrier. We have our timber frame or our structure with insulation in it. That's our insulation layer. Then internal to that, we have an airtight layer. And that airtight layer then creates an envelope. That's our airtight envelope internally with our insulation layer hard up against it running around. For climate zones four through eight, that's fine. That's good. When we get up north, it changes. Our airtight layer has to be on the outside because of uh, moisture management. So it's a humid climate, hot, humid climate. And then we have our moisture transfer is different, but we're only talking about say four through eight at the moment. That's our structure. The internal cavity, you can use whatever you want. Our particular system, we've gone with 70 by 35 timber battens vertically for the gyprock. That gives us plenty of room for all our wires, pipes, everything that runs. And then on the ceilings, 
We use a BG05 Rondo clip and furring channel system, which gives us a 78 mil cavity, which allows us to run all of our heat recovery ventilation piping through the ceiling systems without penetrating the airtight layer. And that Rondo clip system you run underneath the trusses, do you? Yeah. And then fix the ceiling. Yeah, it just that. clips to the bottom of the trusses. And that's those Rondo clips are adjustable. So you can get adjustable heights to get flat ceilings. Yeah. Gotcha. So okay. the minimum amount of penetrations you can get through your airtight layer gets you better results. So we've got one we're building in uh, West Leaderville at the moment. It's not a certified passive house. And our result came back on first test at 0.31. Wow. So the system just works. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And yeah, it just it just works. It's a good system. And that's it for part one of my conversation with Brian. Now, in part two of my conversation, Brian actually shares more about his way of building high-performance homes, particularly how he does this in Western Australia and how he's worked to create a passive house industry in a location that is largely driven by volume builders and locally favoured construction methodologies. So make sure you tune in for that. I know you're going to find it super interesting. Now, a few reminders for you before I finish up. If you'd like a transcript of this episode, then you can get a free download of it by heading to www dot undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 298 that's 298 i've got some uh obviously all of the links that you need there i've also got a link to the podcast interview that i've done with daniel cress brian mentioned daniel cress uh in our conversation and i've also got the episodes that brian mentioned about working with volume builders he referred to a couple of episodes of mine i've popped those in the links for you too now if you're a like-minded industry professional who's listening to this and you're located anywhere anywhere in the world and you help homeowners renovate or build their homes and you'd like to more, work more closely with the Undercover Architect community members, I would love you to check out the UA Army. It is free to join. You just need to fill out your details and let us know a bit more about you. And we are currently building a resource that's going to be uh, just amazing as a, as a library of amazing people that I can't wait to share. So you can find that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army, A-R-M-Y. And of course, if you would like more structured help and guidance and you want to feel more confident and in control as you learn the steps from start to finish of your project journey and how to create a great home that you love living in, then my flagship online program, Home Method, is definitely the place for you. In it, you'll find an amazing community of super informed homeowners. They're all sharing their journey and, you know, and uh, helping you amplify your own learning. And it's also the only place that you can get my personalized support and guidance in your project with our regular Q&A session and uh, my help uh, at a one-to-one level as you move through your project journey. Now, you can find out more about Home Method by heading to homemethod.com.au or also to the Undercover Architect website and head to the um, where it says Home Method on the menu there. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time. Thank you.